this is a friendly universe and there's a lawfulness to it. So it's not who you are personally. It's your principle-centered life. It's these qualities of being real. Just knowing the only time you have is now. So you got to do shit now. You can't wait to tomorrow or yesterday. It's now is the time. Right now it's pregnant with possibility. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller Podcast. Today's episode is so good. George Mumford is here. He is such a brilliant, such a kind, such a incredible soul. I have not stopped talking about this episode since he and I recorded it, and I'm so glad that we can share it with you today. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that Amy Porterfield's class is closing today. So today is the last day to sign up, and when you sign up with the link that I'm going to give you, kathyheller.com slash Amy, you actually get me as your buddy to go through the experience with you. So it comes with 12 hours of coaching with me and we were going to have so much fun and I'll be there to help you complete the program, help you understand it, help you just really take it to the next level. And this is the program that I did seven years ago before I even started a podcast that helped me build the online business that I have. And Amy's just an amazing teacher and a very cool person. If you want to join, go to kathyheller.com slash Amy, and you get two of us for the cost of her class. All right, so I'm so thrilled because the amazing George Mumford is with us. He's a world-renowned psychologist, mindfulness, and elite performance expert, speaker, and author who's worked with elite athletes like Michael Jordan, Kobe, Shaq, plus Olympians and corporate executives and inmates. He has an incredible story of overcoming addiction and diving deep into the world of mindfulness through one of my favorite teachers, John Kabat-Zinn. He worked with Phil Jackson during the reign of the Chicago Bulls and the LA Lakers and wrote a book called The Mindful Athlete about the techniques that helped those teams become champions. Earlier this year, he wrote another powerful book. It's called Unlocked, Embrace Your Greatness. Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success. In the book, he offers tangible insights, ancient wisdom, inspiring stories, and proven strategies to unleash our innate strengths and gifts, to succeed no matter the stakes and unlock the power inside each of us. This book is chock-filled of so many valuable lessons, and I definitely recommend that you get yourself a copy. George is such an inspiration, and even though he's worked with some of the most legendary athletes of all time, he is so humble and so down-to-earth. He's such a lovable soul, and the way he sees the world is aligned with everything that we talk about on this show, so I'm really excited for you to hear this. Without further ado, please welcome the phenomenal George Mumford. George, I'm so happy to get to talk to you. It really is such a blessing to sit with someone who leans into this kind of work and the way that you've really mastered articulating some of the most important fundamental pieces that help us, as you say, unlock, but also to really tap into Mm -hmm. everything that God put us here to do. I mean, there's a lot of people in the personal development space, but I feel like you've done such an amazing job at finding a unique lane. So thank you for coming on. Well, you're welcome. Always fascinated because I feel like all I did was just show up and just follow, you know, my passion. So this, I'm doing what I, I was put here to do and I enjoy doing it. It's amazing. It's fantastic. You know, to be able to do something and serve people mm-hmm. and get benefit from it. I can't tell you when people tell me how much whatever I put out there is helping them. 
I feel great because that's my intention is to be a service and to be helpful and to share what I got so that people realize that they can do it too and they well, can have it. You know, they, they just have to be willing. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that you find it so meaningful because it is so needed. And yeah, so we are all built just like I say, like every Tesla has the same equipment in it. We all have this capacity, but we don't always know how to tune in. So I want to, before we get into some of the work, I want to know how you were led to this work. Why did you find such a love of studying mindfulness and studying flow and what led you to that? People are probably familiar with Joseph Campbell and the power of myth. And one of the things he says in the power of myth is where your pain is, is where your life is. And so the hero's journey, it doesn't start with somebody giving you a lottery ticket or saying you just won, you know, book of the week or the mega bucks or anything. It usually starts with some adversity and the ability to, to say yes to the adversity and to learn from it is, is what it's about. So this is about my journey. It started out with substance abuse and chronic pain, but it was really more about how to, like he said, how to lead a human life in a way where you can experience those moments of being fully alive, just fully engaged, fully deployed, mm-hmm. and for the highest good, the greatest good. Some, there's something about, and I was reading it in one of the books, I read a lot of books, and it talked about the altruism, you know, we're wired for that, but there's something, I think it was probably Out of the Impossible by Stephen Cutler, that there's something about saying yes to life and then our latent abilities and come out of that need out of that difficulty, that challenge. And there's something about it when we access it and we realize, oh man, no matter what happens to me, I get to choose my response. I get to decide who I'm going to be. Even if I can't control my circumstances, like Victor Franco talked about in a concentration camp, but I can control my mind. I can control what I, what I focus on and how I choose to respond to whatever it is. I can respond with grace and dignity and not lose myself, no matter what. I mean, that really is it, right? That is like the point of light on the spectrum of all that is, that is where we have free will. Yeah. So, no, I mean, what, what you just said, I've never heard that, although I've heard things like that, but I love how you said, you quoted Joseph Campbell saying, where your pain is, that's where your life is. That makes so much sense. And then when you sort of rattled off the things that you've lived through, I mean, those are such giant challenges. And I get on one level what you're saying, but like the humanity of being in it, in the thicket of all that stuff, and then still being able to rise to where you are. Bring us to that moment in the movie. Like, what's that scene look like when you were able to overcome and choose into a much more healthier, elevated state of being. Yes. So there's a lot of things that led up to it, but it, it just came down to is one week I was active. And when you're addicted to heroin and you're getting high multiple times a day, you're always running a fever. You're always having yeah. withdrawal symptoms till you get mm-hmm. high and whatnot. And I'm running around and I was sick and I went to the doctors and they told me I had a strep infection my temperature was like 105 or something. So I ended up in the hospital for a week. And while I was in the hospital, 
you know, it was really frustrating because they could see that I was a substance abuser because I had tracks all up and down my arms and they wouldn't give me any pain medicine and they had to cut into my arm and they made me go three, four days without giving me anything. And then when I got ready to leave, they gave me a prescription for Percocet. You know, it's like they have no idea, nothing. And they say, if you keep doing that, you're going to die. But something happened and I had been going to AA since April. And that was it late in March. And then April 1st, my friend Danny, you know, I grew up with, I used to get high with. And he came by my house and took me to an AA meeting on April 1st, 1984. And I saw him and I was intrigued. Okay, he's, he's a dope thing like me and an alcoholic, but he's clean. How'd that happen? And so when I was ready, because I had hit uh, one of those, we call it the elevator, you were in the penthouse. And you're not quite to the sub-basement, but you know I just had a spiritual bottom where I couldn't stop and I couldn't keep going. And going to AA was actually, and the 12 steps was actually getting to me. And then I got to the point where, yeah, I went to AA meetings and then I got into detox. So that was kind of the moment that I could see that there was a possibility to me. I didn't know what it was, but I knew if he did it, I got to check it out. And so that was one of the moments. But it's interesting because going to those 12-step meetings and whatnot, I continued to get drink and do things on the side. I mean, I was just, you know, it was one of those things where I had to get to a point where I could go into detox and not get sick. And so I got into detox and I remember walking into the detox because it was close to my house. And at that time I had lost my car and I still had a job. I was lucky I was functional and I still had a house, but I didn't have much else. And so walking to the detox and then I could hear myself saying, you know, if the same George that goes in comes out, we got a problem. You, you cannot come out the way you went in. You got to come out different. And I don't know how much of that is reading or 12 steps and talking to people about it, but I knew that. And sure enough, when I got out of the detox, it was like I was seeing life on life's terms without substances, without hiding out in my fantasy world or whatever. I was seeing life on life's terms. And I feel like that's the first time I saw my street, saw my neighborhood. There's no adequate way of responding to that, um, but it's extremely powerful. Obviously, it's so brave. And also, this is like what true leadership looks like, because everyone who's listening has their own version. That's right. Of creating a character that they play and then who they really are and the ways that we are addicted to pleasing and the ways that we're addicted to functioning by not showing up to life as it is, but creating some other way in which we hold ourselves apart from the truth. I mean, that is universal. And so when we hear someone who's not only able to say it out loud, but then who's, I mean, this is years ago. We're talking about there's been decades of your life yeah, where you've like, now... Yeah, we're talking almost 40 years. Yeah, almost 40 years of life to have had the courage to look it straight in the face and since then, take every day with this like honest and present look. It's like meeting like Moses. It's like levels of like, it doesn't even make any sense, you know, but it, it does make sense because we are actually wired to be able to be with life as it is. We just, we are just raised in ways where there's so much cortisol and there's so much contrast that we can't it almost makes sense to like check out of it because it's so toxic 
when mm-hmm. we're approaching life in such a toxic way. But of course, that's never the answer. And so let's talk about it because you've written books, you've been teaching, you've been working with some of the most amazing human beings. What do you now understand about life that you want other people to understand? Yes. Well, the first thing is, and it's interesting because when I got clean, I was working in a couple of years in the sobriety. I was working at this holistic health center. It was called Interface and it was in Watertown, Mass. So I used to volunteer on the weekends and they'd have these workshops and they'd have like a Friday night talk and then they have a Saturday workshop. So one of the gentlemen that I had the pleasure of serving was Matthew Fox. And Matthew Fox, he was a Dominican priest and he wrote a book called The Original Blessing. And uh, of course, he ended up getting censured, and I think he actually ended up leaving. But he also set up this university in California, someplace that was like, I mean, it was really cool. Here he is up there, Catholic priest, and we're doing Tai Chi on stage and yeah. you know, stuff like that. But it, it's this idea of not realizing that we're so good as a community of having a PhD in and pathology. We can tell you when it happened, when it started. We're not so good at catching each other doing something right or focusing on the original blessing and coming from a place where you realize that you are wide for success. You have Buddha nature, Christ consciousness, Kuan Yin, divine spark. You have the greatness within you that if you embrace it, access it, it can transform not only your life, but everybody else's life or community. So it's this idea of just getting to that point Right. Yeah. You're a bad mofo. You, you know, you watch, <laughs> you know, but you just don't know it. You know, it's like the, when I was in the eighth grade, his friend of mine, he told me, he said, Hey, man, you're a poet. You know how I know it? Your feet show it. The Longfellows, you know, it's like, so you have Longfellow capability, Emerson, the Bella Amherst, Emily Dickinson. There's so many, you know, we have the worldwide, but it's like you said, you buy a new Tesla. And all you want to know is how to start it and how to stop it and how to go someplace. But you're not interested in reading the manual so you can use the full capacity right. of the vehicle and all the smart technology and whatnot. We tend to say, well, we, we ain't trying to go there. We just want to get to A and B and we don't, we just need the basic fundamentals, but we don't really want to understand it so we can get the best use out of it. So I'd say our mind body process, we have a masterpiece that we don't even know we have. And not only that, we're not interested in it. We're interested in what's out here instead of going in here and realizing all you need to succeed is inside. It's always an inside job. So we have this tremendous capacity, potential that can be unlocked. It can be developed. It could be accessed, but it's an inside job. Only you can do it. You can have help and people can encourage us and inspire us and then give us hints, but we have to do it. And to the degree that we're able to unlock the quality of our lives, to be able to live fully and creatively, it's going to be enhanced by the ability of how much we develop and access the greatness within. That's what it comes down to. And so for me, if you everything is fine, you know, it says, I think in the Bible, it talks about those who thirst and hunger after knowledge. They're the ones that get it. The ones that say, I'm straight, I'm cool. You're going to hide out in mediocrity or, you know, desperate lives, you know, quiet lives of desperation. And Kierkegaard talks about one of the most common forms of despair is not being yourself. Hmm. So you understand that that's what it's about. And so it's really 
about making a choice and having people around you and role models, whether it's Joseph Campbell or Maya Angelou or, or even, you know, I was listening to Louise Hay. And I remember back in the day when she wrote a book, you know, you can heal yourself. People thought it was controversial because she wasn't really saying you were responsible for your illness, but she was saying that you have a role to play in it. And if you play your role, you can heal yourself. But that's too much because that amount of responsibility, because I'd say we have a system of hideouts. We're not interested in being aware and being mindful because if we are, now we got to be responsible. And if we're responsible, then we can't just blame and deny. We got to say, I'm responsible. I have a role. And here's the amazing thing about it. It's like we put ourselves in jail. We're the jailer. And so because we put ourselves in jail, we can let ourselves out. We can unlock. We lock ourselves up. We can unlock. But unless we accept that and embrace that. Now, why is that so challenging? Well, because you're really, and it's interesting, I have this quarter here. So to really embrace that, this is Soren Kierkegaard, 1846. He said, one side of the coin is heads. You know that one. That's freedom, potentiality, choice, your choice, spontaneous choice of one's will. The other side is tails. That's uncertainty, anxiety, Mm. unexpectability, or, or unpredictability. And he said that they come together, and what he calls it is the alarming possibility of being able. So think about that one. So we're able, we're afraid. This is Marianne Williamson when she talked about our greatest show, that we are great and we can't accept that. We can't handle the truth. (laughs) We have this. And of course, there's people around that want to tell you who you ought to be or who you should be or who they think you should be instead of you being the one that decides. And this includes your parents and everybody because it's an inside job. You have to know yourself, to be yourself, to express yourself, to share yourself. So it's about who are you really? Why are you here? You have a uniqueness. And I talk about it in my book. I don't know if I have a copy up here, but I talk about, you know, Joseph Campbell talked about you after the only thing you can offer to the world, it has to come out of your own person, you know, unique potentialities. And so we have school systems and everything that teaches one size, but we really, and we know there's multiple intelligences. It's not just English and science or math, but there's also intelligence or interpersonal, interpersonal existential, knowing uh, how to read trails. I mean, it's all of the spatial intelligence, all of these different ways that we can celebrate each other. And so we have to understand that it's up to each person to figure out who they are. Now, we tend to react to the extremes, extreme fear, you know, extreme pain or happiness, but the ordinariness of life and the normal things that make everything amazing. We just ignore those. We don't have time for it. So for me, I didn't have a reason to want to be do anything differently than what I was doing. So it was only through what I call the AOF method of motivation, which is ass on fire, that I was able to say, okay, <laughs> you know, uh, this ain't working and maybe I should try something else. Because if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to keep getting what I'm getting. And so, but it's challenging. Because you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable anytime. And this is what Eric Fromm talked about. I said, anytime you change a habit, like when you brush your teeth or when you do something, you mobilize anxieties. Once again, that's freedom. That's getting out of it and being unlocked. Uh, it, it mobilizes anxieties. But what we don't know is that if you brace those anxieties and, and move through it, 
you get stronger. You build resilience. And, and as Nietzsche, that was does not kill me, makes me stronger. And so you realize it's through adversity, it's through difficulty that uh, latent abilities express themselves. This is what Hans Salye talked about in his book, The Stress of Life, that when we have the demand, because and we know that about the neurochemicals and the brain science, that when you're challenged, you know, you get locked in and there's something about being in that high state of arousal that if you can have poise with it or intention and purpose with it, there's something here for me to get. This is a learning process. This is a challenge that I'm up for and it's going to be an amazing experience. That totally changes the psychology of it versus saying, Oh my God, I don't know what this is. I'm screwed. That's the psychology that, that is focusing on being a victim or not having the power to choose. And so we always have a choice. Even when we're not choosing, we're choosing. And so can we create space between stimulus and response, slow down? And in that space, we have the freedom and power to choose. And why not choose greatness? Why not choose the lovely and, and things that are positive, goodwill, kindness, compassion, empathy, joy? We can choose those, but those are choices. So it's, we got to look at our thoughts because we become what we think about. That's the strangest secret. There's a book called The Strangest Secret. Louise Hay talks about it a lot. It's like we have control of our thoughts, even though we don't think we do. But just like Dr. Dre, when he said, I have my mind on money, money on my mind, <laughs> that's meditation. So from moment to moment, and I think Dr. Dre was part of that. I mean, uh, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre. But anyway, the, the point is that we have to be able to observe what thoughts are we Thinking, what we have on our mind, what we have our minds on. And that's going to tell us a lot about our experience. And so we have to understand the unexamined life is not worth living. We got to examine how are we thinking. So I talk about this uh, embracing part of our quality of the masterpieces. We have this ability to observe, to step back and observe our experience and reflect on it. We have self-awareness and then we have self-regulation. What is self-regulation? Self-regulated thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. But also we can choose how we respond to something. So something happens and we can see it as a blessing or a curse. And depending on how we observe it, if we see it as something to be avoided, that's one psychology. Another psychology is there's an opportunity here. There's something for us to get. And if we don't get it, we're going to keep getting what we're getting. If you don't want to keep getting what you're getting, then you got to change. You got to do something different. I mean, everything you just said, we should just all have on repeat and listen to it every morning because you would have such a masterful day if we listened to that every single day and selected those thoughts the way we select our clothes. You said so many things that in order to respond, I'm going to pick one thing out of it, but we really could talk for 19 hours about everything you just said. You said something so powerful about the ordinary moments and how we we tend to just not notice that because we're only really available to slow down and notice the high highs and the low lows. And I know that mindfulness and presence is a big part of your work. And I know that you met Dr. John Kabat-Zinn years ago, and the two of you have had lots of amazing collaborations and journeys together. And I can feel it in everything you're saying that that keeps coming back around, you know, being present. That keeps coming back around. And why I love that is because we've done almost 800 episodes of the show and there are plenty of people who come on with really cool things to say and it's about achievement. And achievement is one really cool thing to study. But what I find is that 
There's only so much achievement can actually give you and the world because ultimately what we really want is the lightness of our own being. We want to arrive at our own door. We want to be there in the moment. And there's so little that we're being taught or directed toward to actually be and to have equanimity or to have peace and to have wonder and wholeness for the regular, for the mundane, extraordinary, ordinary life. And I want to hear about why mindfulness grabbed you in such a way and what you and John Kabat-Zinn did together and, and, and how that has shaped your life and how that has shaped the work you do and why that, because that is very unique to you that you, I mean, it's so obvious, like how much you've absorbed of the wisdom of the world and your own wisdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first story is your hero's journey. And then everything else out of your mouth is the combo of you've taken every good nugget in this right. world. But in addition to all of that, you in particular have added, you've literally added mindfulness to this work, which not yes. everybody does. So why that? Why is that yes. so gripping to so you? So let me talk about, so when I go back to my book, The Mindful Athlete Secrets to Pure Performance, I talk about the, the five superpowers. And so I think people, especially in the mindfulness field, they talk about mindfulness like it's the secret sauce or it's by itself, but mindfulness by itself is not enough. It has to be supported by those other superpowers. For instance, you have to have some insider wisdom. You got to know what you're being mindful of. And then you have to make the effort to be mindful and make the effort to be mindful. You have to have enough faith to make the effort. Mm. Right. And so you got to understand that sometimes some people have so much faith that they're polyamorous. And then you have some people that have so much insight or so much knowledge that they become cynical. So you have to balance those two in mindfulness helps us balance it. Where if you're too cynical, you got to bring more faith in. If you have too much faith, then you got to verify it and you got to bring the evidence and, and the insight, that sort of thing. And when you make the effort, you can make like me, you can make the wrong effort, try too hard and not try hard enough. It has to be balanced with poise or, or focus concentration. And if you're too concentrated and you don't have enough effort, you can get sloth, sluggish. So these things, it's about balance and mindfulness helps cultivate those five superpowers, the other four, including the self. And at the same time, it helps balance them. So when people talk about mindfulness, I'm not sure what they mean. When I talk about mindfulness, I'm talking about mirror mind. I'm talking about this ability to see things in, in new and fresh ways, like the mirror just reflects what's in front of it. So we have to create this space so that when we observe something, there's a very short period of time where it's just raw data. And then immediately there's a projection of embellishment of self-reference, abstract thinking, you know, okay, this means that associative thinking and just I, me, and mine. It's like, if you like it, you embellish it. If you don't like it, then you make it worse than what it is. Instead of just, and then there's also this idea of seeing things and relating to them based on what we already know, instead of seeing them fresh without any interference, but letting the thing speak to us in its own language without interrupting, without pushing it away, pulling it towards us or interpreting. But it takes a certain amount of vulnerability to just let somebody speak or let things speak to you in its own language without you having an agenda and trying to fit it into. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It so it makes sense. It, we it, don't so see clearly. We have a cognitive bias. We're not right. really present right. to it. That's right. And even and let's let's get even more complicated. 
So I like to talk about the two wolves, you know, the Cherokee grandfather and, you know, I'm going to, for simplicity, one is fear and one is, one is love. And so we all have this battle that's going on inside of us. This is what the grandfather told his grandson. And one is fear and one is love. And the grandson got concerned. And he said, not only do I have this battle going on inside of me, but everyone, including you, has that battle going on inside of you. And the grandson, which wolf will win? And the grandfather said, the one that I feed. That's right. And so if I have on the fear glasses, then everything is, everybody's a, a threat, a danger. I'm in survival mode, you know, and you can't on a cellular level, you're either in survival mode or growth mode. You can't do both. Like in football, we talk about the best defense is a good offense because you have the ball and the other team can't get the ball. They can't score. So it's this. And so if we have on the love glasses, then the love glasses, now we have, you know, things are open up. We have the broaden and build theory, which when your mind's at positive, you just, your mind, your brain functions more. You have access to your memory and stuff. But when you're in the fear, everything gets locked up. So you don't even have access to your memory and you get emotionally hijacked. So the, the impulse, no stress between stimulus and response, that sparks, that stimulus goes right to the amygdala. You get emotionally hijacked. So you have to be able to create it, slow things down and create the space so that your, your frontal cortex can get involved, your uh, understanding of, well, what am I doing? What's my intention? Instead of being, you know, reacting where there's no thought and no, reflection on where that's going to lead to and you go back to bad negative behavior or whatever but you have to create that space and in that space you have the freedom and power to choose and you can actually slow things down by slowing down how you perceive things and letting things speak to you in its own language without you interpreting what it means i don't know if i have because i used to carry this stuff around but it talks about this this will or this ability it's about, you know, wisdom begins in wonder. And, and this wonder is the unreal willingness to let things speak to us in his own language. That's a practice. And so mindfulness is just this ability to observe things uncritically without judging, without pushing it away, without pulling it towards you, but to let whatever's there speak in its own language. Yeah. So you can see it in, in new and fresh ways. So mindfulness is by itself is not enough. You need wisdom, you need effort, you need concentration, mm-hmm. and you need faith. And you gotta have some kind of wisdom, which could be a combination of information, rational thought, being a rational thinking, and you want the intuition and a direct experience of it. So it's once you have a direct experience of it, now now you get it and you have an experience of it, but it's not to be believed. Yeah, you can believe it, but it's really better to have a direct experience of it so you can speak from an existential point of view. Yeah, that's my experience. I actually experience what it's like when I can just be still and know, when I can just let things speak to me and I see things in new and fresh ways. And sometimes you look at things and you keep seeing the same thing. That's not a problem unless you make it a problem. But it's really powerful if we think about it. But anyway, that's the deal. Yeah, It's an amazing deal. And I love how you said a few times that, you know, we have the choice to respond and that's what it is to be responsible as you, you yeah. choosing how you respond and you can actually slow down enough to see things as they are and not through this projection. And that gives you so much of what life really can give you. And I just wanted to touch on it and then we'll talk about your, your more recent book, but this book, The Mindful Athlete, I know that Phil Jackson wrote the foreword of this book, and I wanted to just bring up the actual tangible athletes that you've worked with, because I think 
it's one thing for us to kind of take everything you're saying and it feels really vague, but it's another thing when we can understand that there is an element to what we've watched. Like if we've watched Michael Jordan, like in his zone, there's an element of that, which is mindful. There's an element of that, which can be assigned to a practice of mindfulness. Can you talk about how the athletes you've worked with, how it is that Phil Jackson's love of this work, how is it that that gives someone who's already talented at basketball as an example, how does that give them that edge? Why is it related to that game? Yes, because wisdom begins in wonder and this idea of being in the zone. So when you are able to be in the moment, the mindfulness makes you flow ready. But being in the Ooh, flow being ready, flow I love ready, that. It makes you flow ready because, you know, we know what the triggers of flow are. We know that you have to have high challenges and high skills. And that's that relationship between that. But you have to have clear goals and the ability to observe, you know, like a shorter feedback loop. So you see what you're doing, you see what you're getting. And in real time, you're making on the fly adjustments. And so when you could be mindful and you can see things without judging, you're able to see things. And then in the seeing of it, the thing about mindfulness or mirror mind is when you see it, then there's a knowing that what you need to do to do the next thing. Now, Joseph Campbell talked about an element that's really important because I talk about flow and being in the zone. And he talks about it in the, in the power of myth. He talks about when an athlete is at championship form, they're coming out of this place of rest. I call it the eye of the hurricane. You can call it whatever you want. And when they come out of that, you know, when they're in championship form, they're performing out of that, not being driven by fear or desire, but holding their center and then just moving it. So you got to be able, it's almost like if you watch improv, only time the reason improv works is that when you give me something, I have to accept it and work with it. If I don't accept and work with it, then, then That's it right. won't work. Yes. So and being in flow is like improv. It's like, okay, this is what's happening. Let me make this adjustment. Let me do this. Let me do that. And what happens is you get to a point where I say embrace your greatness. Then you find the flow and you find the flow because it becomes effortless because you, you know what you're getting. You have a short feedback loop and you're making adjustments in the fly. And then at some point, it's like you catch a wave or you catch a, the current and it just carries you and you're not there. There's no self-consciousness. You're not worried about how you're doing. You have supreme confidence. And there's a premonition part of it where you see things happening before they happen because you're relating on a spiritual level. You're relating in a way where there's no ego there. The ego is okay. not there taking it. You're just noticing and all the training and everything you've done. It's like you got out of the way so that you can just express yourself honestly. As Bruce Lee said, that's what martial arts is about, to express yourself honestly. So there's something about coming out of that place of rest where creativity and wisdom just expresses itself. You just know stuff. And then you get creative. You say, okay. And I saw this in real time when I went with Dr. J. And of course, he would play like that. But when he played his first semi-pro games, when he signed a contract and we used to drive down to Port Chester, New York, and he'd be playing. And now you got to understand, he played in the college game where he was playing in a set offense, no up and down. And he couldn't dunk in the game because of Kareem. They allowed dunking because they didn't want him to dominate. <laughs> so he won't tell you that, but that's what happened. So now he's in there. Now it's like he's unlocked and he's doing stuff. He's dunking on people. He's doing these moves and everything. 
And it was me and Al and a couple other people. And I said, man, he's making shit up. <laughs> I was seeing it, but in real time, but I seen the rudiments of what he practiced. But then now the game comes and it's just this knowledge. Okay, do this, do that. And it's like he's creating in the slot. And that's when you're playing at a high level, when you're playing at a spiritual level. But he did all that practice. He's been mindful of that. He understood all that stuff. But then now it expresses itself. So I would say that we learn a lot implicitly and non-declaratively. Like when we learn how to ride a bike, you don't even know you have it. But then the situation comes and all of a sudden, all of those practices, all of those skills, you just got to get out of the way. And there's a quote, Marcus Aurelius. He said, what's in the way becomes the way. Yeah. And so that's what it comes down to. So when you're in flow, you got to say yes to whatever's happening and then make your adjustment. But your awareness and your understanding of basic fundamentals and how to express yourself in a certain situation and just instead of forcing things, it's like the intention and action are co-arised and so that they're mirrored, they're married. It's like they're connected. They're not separate. And that's all I tell people. When you see clearly, you behave clearly. So if you want good actions, you got to have a good vision. You got to have good images of what that looks like. And they're just going with it. And so, yeah, so I saw that. Not that flow experiences myself. I have a lot now, but it's really more about just understanding that if you can make the feedback loop, if you have clarity about what it is you're doing, what your goals are, and getting immediate feedback and being able to say, okay, you know, this is inconvenient, but I got to say yes to it and then improvise on it. Be creative with it. Okay. How do I use this? And so you do that and you can see it. So there's, even though it looks like the BMR athletic, the whole mind, body and heart. This is what uh, Eric Sang talks about. His, his definition of the zone of flow is spontaneity, being spontaneous. And so to be spontaneous is what he called positive freedom in his book, Escape from Freedom. It's a fully integrated self. So your mind, body, heart, and soul have to be in alignment. And you can't have these conflicts of me versus we and, you know, what am I doing? And am I playing for the love of the game or if I'm hating on somebody? Or like I said, you can't be in survival mode and growth mode at the same time. You got to get out of survival mode in the growth mode. And then that's where the creativity comes from when you can just show up and say yes to it. Okay, we got this. Okay, that's what's happening. Whatever the defense gives you, you take it. They close out on you, you up fake and go buy them. If they play off you, you jab step and you shoot. It's nothing personal. And that's what Phil, that's why mindfulness was so crucial to his philosophy because his philosophy was player movement, ball movement. Each player had to be able to make plays and all of that. So they were challenged out of their comfort zone, but that's how you grow and you get comfortable being uncomfortable. And then once you do it and you enjoy it and you get the learning and the achievement, now you have this energizing enthusiasm where you say, okay, let's do more. That's great. That, you know, I'm going to learn more. Oh, this is a challenge. It's going to be awesome. So the rich get richer. It's amazing. I, I'm, I'm just drinking in every word. My husband for 14 years was a vice president of Fox Sports. And uh, in the beginning of our marriage, he's like, come with me to the all-star breakfast. And I'm like, I'm not a sports fan. Oh my God, did I become a sports fan? Because I'd go to these breakfasts and Shaq would speak or Kareem would speak. And I, I was like, this is church. This yes, is actually yes, yes. like the most yes. religious thing. Yes. Every player was like the most spiritually connected inflow person. And I was like, oh, that's what we're watching. You mm-hmm. think they're dribbling. They're not. It's choreography at its finest. Yes. It's oneness. Yes. 
It's being something bigger than what you are. It's being part of a team. I was just like blown away. And I wanted to say to you, I mean, I'm curious on a, on a three dimensional human level, what it was like for you, because initially in your life, I mean, you're an amazing ball player yourself. And then to get injured and to not continue down that road, but to find that God had a different destiny for you. What was that like for you? And how do you see your life now having been so yes. close to that other journey? Yes. So I struggled for years because I didn't know where I was. But then once, you know, I went into detox and came out of it. And then I got access to that masterpiece with it and it connected to higher power. That was huge. I don't want to minimize that. So that's my concept of what God or higher power is. And then with, with God, all things are possible. Yeah. And so then it was just a matter of me just listening to myself. Okay, I need to be intellectually stimulated. This is how I can help people. This is how I can be a service. And so I know if I want to keep what I got, I got to give it away. And if I want to learn something, I got to teach it. So I learned that early on. So it was just like, yeah. So to me, it was really more about, okay, so this is what I have. I got lemons. I got to make lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing personal. But yeah, it's just saying yes to life and then, and then moving with it. And it's really funny because my brother-in-law, he married to my oldest sister. And I remember going over the house one time and I seen all of these pictures of him and Wilt Chamberlain and all these trophies. I said, man, what's going on here? He said, yeah, that's different. You know, we went to high school together. I said, no, no way. And when Wilt used to come, Wilt, Walt has it. Uh, Wally Jones, all of these West Philly guys. So that's where my brother-in-law grew up, but he went in that. Air Force, he didn't continue to play basketball, but Whoa. we used to have these conversations. Crazy. But you think about all the connections, you know, me rooming with Dr. J, working with MJ, working with Kobe, working with Melo, working with, you know, some of the football players and some of the, you know, soccer players and all of these elite performers on different levels. It's no accident. It's because what Joseph Campbell talked about, when you follow your bliss, doors will open where there were no doors. You end up in places you never thought. I mean, I was in Copenhagen at the President's Summit this summer. Like, wow, I'm up here with these, all these amazing people with all these Europeans. And, you know, I got to speak on here and it was like, okay. But it's not like, oh man, you kids from Dorchester, how'd you do that? It's like, no, dude, the universe will collude. Oh, Be yourself, you do what you are and you end up in places like, being with MJ, I mean, being really good friends with Phil and then meeting Michael Murphy, who created Esalen Institute like 60 yeah. years ago. And I'm running into you, Jay Abraham. I'm, I'm meeting all of these amazing. Oh my God, that's awesome. Uh, and I'm not doing anything, but just being myself and just showing up and showing out, you know, and just sharing, sharing the gospel, the good news. Oh, it's so good. I'm actually sitting here and I know I'm just a human. In a, in a large sea of a lot of people, but I'm sitting here thinking, you should be president of the United States. That's what I'm literally thinking. Like, you should be the president. That's what I'm thinking. I know that you, I know that 70. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, no, the- no, no, no. You're, you're. I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it's kind of funny that you say that because I feel like living a principle centered life is, can be really helpful for some in a situation where where you yes. have all these things coming at you. And it's unfortunate because I remember her mother Teresa died around the same time that uh, Princess Diana got killed. And the focus was on Princess Diana. Oh, man. And so so I get that. And people mm-hmm. look at certain people and you can tell people are on a mission and people are doing things 
And we, this is what Dr. David Hawkins talked about. People don't know the difference between truth and falsehood. And you can see that. So you look at it and if something happens, then you interpret what it means and you can interpret things in ways that are not accurate with true north or just because you don't like somebody or they're not part of your tribe. You deny it or you have these people on the internet and these media platforms that are saying so many things that are untrue, but they say it enough times that people think they're true. Right. That's why it's always about see for yourself. And like I said in the Bible, you shall know them by their fruit. So what are they doing? Are they taking things away or producing things? And are they inclusive or are they exclusive? Are they being loving or are they being hateful? And we got to be able to distinguish that because people can talk and say things, but it ain't true. Because I know when I was a Southern abuser, oh, man, you had a gift for gab. You say things and you do things. But in the end of the day, you got to keep lying instead of just really being able to say this is true north. And even though I don't like going through this on this part of the journey, that's the only way is always, you know, the only way is through. You got to go through. So, yeah, do I have to be president? No, but I wish the president and I wish people who are supporting the president, like us, that we we see clearly and we choose the good. We choose inclusion. We choose compassion. We choose love. We choose empathy. We choose to hold each other accountable and to encourage people to take personal responsibility. That's right. That's what we need. But you can't just say do it without I'm modeling that for him. Exactly. That's why I just want to say for the record, anybody who's been sober and has been a part of AA as long as you have, that should be the prerequisite to being president. Because to be a leader, you have to have been down there with the people. Yes. You have to have be able to show us a way out. And to me, there is no one who does that better than somebody who's walked the path of sobriety, especially in the 12-step program where you have a higher power that you are responsible toward. And to me, that is the making of leadership. But before we get off, I have to just, you've already blown everybody away. So obviously we're going to put a link to your newest book, Unlocked, but I just want to touch on it, even though we've been talking about it, right? We've been talking about finding flows, but let's just talk about it. You know, sometimes people are going to sit here. This is the biggest thing that I hear. Okay. People are going to sit here. They're going to listen to you. They're going to say, he's amazing. He's phenomenal. That's for sure. Got that. Got it. Done. But what people have that's insidious is this belief that that's because you're amazing and they're not enough. They're going to come to you and they're going to say, I have all the evidence to show you. There's nowhere in the same sentence you could put me in Michael Jordan. He was given something that I don't have. I don't have that capacity. People think they're not worthy of it because they're an imposter. This is what people walk around with. It's riddling people. It's a bigger pandemic than the pandemic, right? That's right. So what do you say to people to allow them to know that there is a flow that exists for them and then help them to stay in it and not get drowned by that darkness inside. Yes. You have to embrace your greatness within you. You have to get beyond all of that noise and clutter that tells you that it's out here and not here. Because part of that is our theory, you know, the original curse instead of the original blessing and realizing that we have this ability we really do have this ability to access the greatness within us, but we're afraid of it because what I talked about, the dizziness of freedom or the ability, the, the allowing a possibility of being able, because now you can't, I think a lot of it has to do, people play the B and D, blame and denial. Oh. 
they don't take responsibility. I am responsible. I'm my own greatest teacher. Be responsible. I can learn anything I want to learn. And true understanding comes from reflecting on experience. Those four steps to knowing yourself, right? If you talk about it that way. And so we have to be willing to say, God is not out there in some other time. And just like Jesus said, heaven is here, but men do not see it. So I read somewhere where they talked about, you don't go to heaven, you grow to heaven. Mm. So what does it mean? It means, and I'll share this, maybe I'll end with this. So I did two podcasts. One was the School of Greatness with Lewis Howes, mm-hmm. and the other one was with Tim Ferriss. And they both asked me something to the effect, what three things do I know or whatever? And I didn't realize until afterwards that I said the same thing both times. And what I said was, the only time we have is now. The only one you could be is you. And all you need is love. So don't take my word for it. You say, yeah, but no. (laughs) It's like, see if it's true. So it's not like you had to be like MJ, but you had to unlock in your own way. But that's a common denominator. Those folks are unlocked. So you can unlock. And I tell you how to do it in the book. Embrace your greatness. Find the flow. Discover success. But it's got to come out. It's got to start with this idea that this is a friendly universe and there's a lawfulness to it. So it's not who you are personally. It's your principle centered life. It's these qualities of being real. Just knowing the only time you have is now. So you got to do shit now. You can't wait to tomorrow or yesterday. It's now is the time. Right now it's pregnant with possibility. And I'll tell you something else is profound. Right now there's nothing wrong. Right now there's nothing wrong. And so, and it's pregnant with possibility. What do you want to do? Do you want to get down? Get up on it? You know, it's like the song, but the song is telling you this stuff. You know, you got to be willing, but you got to have a sense of urgency. You got to be pursuing excellence of wisdom or have your ass on fire before you realize that if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to keep getting what I'm getting. If I want excellence, if I have a life that I want to live into, then am I willing to be who I need to be to do what I need to do? And so that's, it's time to step up. As Vin Diesel says, don't get up. You can't keep up. And that's the thing. You can keep up, but that's a choice. As a choice, can you embrace your greatness? And that's the challenge because there's all this noise about greatness, but it ain't got nothing to do with what's really happening. It's just noise. And you can listen to that or you can listen to what I'm offering you and then check it out and see if it's true. Amazing. Every single, it was such a gift. I feel like it was a Christmas. To like every word was a present and you're awesome. Tell everybody, we're going to put the link in the show notes, but tell everybody where they can get the book, where they can follow you. And yeah, they can go to course. my website and all of that stuff. And I have at home with George every Thursday. It's for those who want it, not those who need it. You're so smart. I mean, to say the very least, and we're so blessed to have you in our world. And this was such a gift. Well, thank you. I just want people to use, use their minds. And realize I and the other one, we're all in this together. And so we have to help each other. And so when we focus too much on the me and don't think about the we, that's problematic. That down we become selfish and we just get, instead of saying, how can I help? And the reason I do this is because by me sharing my experience and strength and hope is going to empower others to do the same. And if we can get the ripple where everybody is, so that's how we're going to transform. That's it. By transforming hearts and minds. That's it. Together. We got to do it together or else we're not doing yeah. it. Yeah. So I appreciate you for what you're doing and allowing me to be on here. And I have to say, you created quite a listening for me to express myself. 
Well, you're just such a delight. You're just all love and it's powerful to be around love like that. Oh my gosh, how amazing is George? All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, where your pain is, is where your life is. The hero's journey doesn't start with somebody giving you a lottery ticket. It starts with some adversity and the ability to say yes to the adversity and to learn from it. Number two, no matter what happens, you get to choose your response. You get to decide to be who you're going to be. You can control what you focus on and how you choose to respond to whatever it is. You can respond with grace and dignity and not lose yourself no matter what. Number three, all you need to succeed is inside. It's always an inside job. We have this tremendous capacity that can be unlocked and developed, but only you can do it. We lock ourselves up and we can unlock ourselves. Number four, that which does not kill you does make you stronger. If you brace your anxieties and move through it, you build resilience. It's through adversity and difficulty that your latent abilities express themselves. Number five, we always have a choice. When we create space between the stimulus and response, we have the freedom and power to choose. So why not choose greatness, goodwill, kindness, compassion, empathy, and joy? Number six, when you're in championship form, you're not driven by fear or desire, but holding your center and then moving it. You have to accept whatever comes your way and work with it. Embrace your greatness, then you can find the flow because it becomes effortless. Number seven, say yes to life and then move with it. When you follow your bliss, doors will open when there were no doors before. You end up in places that you never thought you'd be. And number eight, the only time we have is now. The only one you can be is you and all you need is love. Thank you so much for listening. It's really astounding to think that we have been doing this podcast for seven and a half years and it wouldn't be possible without you. We have so many good episodes that are coming up. Please follow along on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. And if you're a fan of what we're doing, please share the show with someone. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. It helps more than you could possibly know. And you could maybe text somebody the link or you can post about the show on your Instagram. And finally, if you want to join Amy Porterfield's Digital Course Academy, the doors are closing today. You can go to kathyheller.com slash Amy to sign up and you will be getting my bonuses right along with her class. And I will be your buddy as you go through that whole program. It's going to be fun. Here's a song of mine. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great weekend. I could use a fresh coat of paint, change my scenery, wake up in the morning and choose to be brave and sad.